as we've heard already in this congregation, I believe God is doing things and He makes a difference in our lives. Amen. I'm here to love Him and love Him with all my heart today, my soul, mind, and strength. And, and uh, in this regard today, the Lord has uh, given me a word for you this morning, and I'm thankful for that. Amen. I'd, I'd hate to just, uh, you know, go in about five minutes and find some sermon somebody preached and print it out and bring it up here and uh, feed you some leftovers. I'm thankful that the Lord speaks to us. And I believe he's spoken to me today. Amen. And I want him to speak to you. So my subject today is, is this. Don't miss Christmas. Say that with me. Don't miss Man, I don't know what in the world. I, I put those fancy uh, uh, words, that, that wonderful, what do they call it? Font. Sorry? I've got a PC. That's right. I'm politically correct. I put some nice, so I know that's, I hope you're not distracted. I'm distracted. I'm distracted now because I, that, that slide doesn't look anything like it looks on my computer. On my computer, that looks awesome. So it looks, looks fine. Don't miss Christmas. Everybody say, don't miss Christmas. In fact, by the end of my message today, it's my prayer that this would become, become a common statement around this church. And years from now, when we're talking with somebody and this word hits our spirit, we say, don't miss Christmas. In fact, this is a way we can have Christmas in July, Christmas in February, Christmas in August. Don't miss Christmas. Somebody say it with me. Don't miss Christmas. Now, though this seems to be an odd text for this title, but bear with me. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Luke 19, verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hast known even thou, at least in this thy day, if you would have known at least in this day the things which belong unto thy peace but now they are hid from thine eyes those are startling words to me startling if you would have known at least what was your opportunity today but now it's hidden for the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. I'm thankful for the Spirit of God in this place today. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to waste a service. I don't want to be such a sulker that I miss my visitation today. 
I don't want to be so upset about something that's going on in my life that I miss my chance today. I don't know everything that's going on in your life. In fact, the matter is, I don't even know everything that's going on in mine. (laughs) But I don't want to miss Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your blessings, God, and your goodness to us today. I I pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts today, Lord, as only you can. Lord, I'm praying that this congregation, there would be a sweeping of your spirit that would go across this place. I pray that saints of God that's known you for years, Lord, I pray that something would stir up in them today. I pray, God, that they would show these young people that even as time goes by, God is still real. He's still faithful. He's still just. I pray, God, you touch every young adult and every young person in this place today. Let us hear your word. Let it go forth with authority and power. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. Now turn to your neighbor before you're seated and say to them, don't miss Christmas. Don't miss Christmas. God bless you. You can be seated in the name of the Lord. In Luke chapter 19, we read, and without reading my text completely again, I would like to begin today by saying there are consequences for missing our visitation. There are consequences for letting a service go by or when we feel God move on us to do something or say something and we miss our opportunity, there are consequences. Jesus said it that at least in your day, I'm not making you responsible for everything. I'm not asking you to, uh, to uh, recognize nor understand the visitation of someone else or the experience of another, but at least in thy day, at least in your world, there's a consequence for missing a visitation. In fact, the scripture says that Jesus says because you have missed it, not talking about every other day and everybody else, just your day, just in you, just your relationship with God, if you have missed it, He says there's a point where now it becomes hidden. This is in obviously his relationship with the Jews and we know how that Paul talks about them uh, going into blindness to even the day he was writing and how that the blindness would someday fall from the eyes of the Jews. We know that's gonna happen. Somebody say amen. But I would like to say today in looking at the way Jesus responded to those who rejected him that day. I don't want in my own life to miss my day. At least my day. I can't answer for the way you're going to worship today, but at least in my day, right right here in this moment, I, I can't answer for the way you feel today or what you've been through that has gotten you totally distracted from God. But at least in my day, I, I want to make sure I don't miss my visit. 
but now they're hidden from your eyes. And when they become hidden, everybody say hidden, when you can't see it anymore, then something even darker happens. Your enemies will gain an advantage over you. Are you hearing me today? They'll hem you in. You'll feel bound up. You'll feel like they're keeping that you're being kept in by something. You want to worship, but you can't worship. You feel like something's holding you back and you look for everybody to blame it on. If they'd sing this song one more time, I think I could let go. Well, maybe something's hidden from you. And the enemies gain an advantage over you. And then the writer says it will affect your children. That says to me, I need to keep my eyes open for a visit from God today. I need to make sure I don't miss something that's going on. That, that requires my undivided attention. I haven't checked Facebook one time this morning. Of course, you know, there's no need for me to do that. But some of you have been tempted to check up on who's uh, watching whatever you're. But I, that doesn't have my attention today because right now, so important, I may miss my visit. And if I miss my visit, I could get hemmed in and it could affect generations behind me if, I, if something I miss and then it becomes hidden to me and I can't ever find it again. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? Huh, it's, it, in this auditorium, it, it hasn't been that long ago, although if I told you the years, you would say, well, pastor, that's been a long time ago, but I remember a revival. I remember a revival and evangelist was preaching, and I remember on a specific night, I can tell you the night, that that evangelist, he didn't know anybody in that congregation. I, I was a young pastor. The church was smaller, but I remember that man saying, tonight is somebody's opportunity, and he said, I can't get away from it. I'm not closing this altar service. Somebody needs to come today. Somebody needs to come now and I watched an individual get up and walk the other way and I cannot describe to you what happened in the next few hours that complicated that situation in a magnitude that you can't even imagine. I'm telling you today we've got an opportunity to love God, to serve God, to hear his word. I want to take my opportunity at least in my day. Oh, I wonder if there's anybody here to worship God, to let the Lord touch you. Is there anybody? I can't speak for everybody, but at least in my day. Come on, let's love the Lord right now. Don't miss Christmas. Somebody shout it with me. Don't miss Christmas. Say it again. Don't miss Christmas. Jesus said that uh, you've missed it. Jerusalem, how often have I tried to reach for you, but at least in this your day, you didn't see it, you refused to see it, and now you'll not see it. What a terrible epitaph for God to say, you're not going to see it now. You're not going to see it now. It, I tried to show you, but now you're not going to see it. I don't want to ever get to that place. So that led me, reading that passage and where this has to do with don't miss Christmas, I, I begin to think about a particular group of people. I, I begin to think about who Jesus was talking to. He was talking to some very religious people. Jews, they had the oracles of God. 
No other nation had what they had. Nobody else had a tabernacle with an ark in it and the glory of God coming down and descending on it. Nobody had that stuff. Only Israel had that stuff. I start thinking about this group that he's talking to and one group in particular that, that gathered, gathered my attention was uh, the group of people that I would call scribes. Everybody say scribes. Scribes. Now in the ancient world, books were produced if you wanted a book like today you just you know now we're in the digital world you can go on Kindle or you know iBooks and and go download a digital book and it's very easy to read a book in in the ancient world books were produced to order they produced them one at a time You, you didn't you couldn't mass produce books and only with printing did the practice of printing anticipating demand become normal like we see in the current day most manuscripts in the time of Jesus were produced by a single scribe who was copying them from another manuscript called an exemplar. He had an example and he copied it. Scribes first prepared the manuscript for copying. They would get it, that whatever they were going to copy, they would lay it out. They would first, before they'd just start copying, they would check all the contents of the manuscript. They would read the entirety of it. They read it in its entirety, assess the spelling, uh, any errors that they thought might be there. They may uh, discuss that with somebody. They they would be concerned about that. They would then calculate the layout, the space required, prepared writing materials. They would cut papyrus sheets or in the case of parchments, they would mark up a layout with a sharp point and draw lines and say, this is the sheet, this is how the sheet's gonna lay out. And at the end, they would copy the whole volume and then it would be bound. That's what a scribe did. Man, Kyle must have preached really long this morning in the adult class. In Jewish literature, there were uh, pictures, and if you could take those effects off that, thank you so much, Brother Rob. There was a picture of an ideal scribe. A scribe is characterized by somebody who is wise, because he has time in study of the manuscripts, in this case of the Jews, he would have studied the law backwards and forwards. He would be considered so wise, wiser than any other. In fact, in Jewish literature, it is quoted that a scribe served as a ruler. He would travel. He would intercede for the people. Uh, It is said that they were considered filled with the spirit of understanding, manifested by the word of wisdom. They had a grasp of God's word that other folks didn't have. In ancient times, scribes were merely, merely officers whose duties included writing of various kinds. But on the return of the Jews from the Babylonian captivity, Ezra called this group of people into a distinct body and he gave them duties to copy every year the, the Pentateuch, the five books of the law. And they took such great care in copying those five books of Moses that they would actually, when they were finished, they would count the letters to make sure nothing was left out, beginning at the starting of the text and all the way to the end and count every letter to make sure they didn't even miss a letter. 
On stated occasions, uh, history says they were asked to read the law in the synagogues. Now, I don't know if you've heard these quizzers uh, be in an environment where all of a sudden a verse or a couple of verses comes back to their memory, but uh, they, they can quote verse after verse after verse. If I start reading a verse, they can begin to quote with me. They do it from time to time. How many quizzers do I have that you hear a verse and you start quoting it? And over time, these scribes who were given the books of the law, they could probably stand up in the synagogues and, and probably read it from memory. They knew it letter by letter. It, they became the natural interpreters of what God was saying because they were the copyist. When, when someone wondered what the Bible or the law said about a certain subject, they knew. They could quote it. Josephus, the great Jewish historian, explains how carefully the scribes copied the Bible. He notes that scribes were careful not to add or remove or alter any syllable and that they regarded their text as decrees from God. They took it serious and they needed to abide by and perhaps to die for their copy due to their reverence. They, they stood by their copy. They made sure it was correct. They were diligent. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? At times, these scribes would leave an indelible trace in their work. In fact, for example, Hosea 14 and 9, uh, not so much in a humble way, states this, that those who are wise will understand the works of God. This was a scribe leaving his telltale trace. He's saying, basically implying that it takes an attentive reader it takes somebody diligent to really know what God is doing. It takes somebody that goes letter by letter to really be able to understand what God is up to. And at the time of Jesus, the people were increasingly dependent on these men called scribes for their knowledge of the scripture. And you say, well, why would they be dependent on a scribe? Well, the language of the Jews was passing into the uh, Americ dialect and the majority of people began being unable to understand their own sacred books because their language w was uh, moving and, tr and, and changing. They, they were obliged to, to ask the scribe, what do those words mean? Because we don't even know the meanings of those words anymore. And their dialect began to change. And so then scribes became very important because you don't read it yourself. You just go ask a scribe what the Word says, and he tells you. Sounds an awful lot about what happens today in this environment. It's very important to hear the preacher. I thank God for a preacher. I thank God for the Word of God. But, but there comes a time where I need to get in there for myself. I need a Word from God on Monday when the preacher's not in the pulpit. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. I need a word from God on Tuesday when the pastor's out of town. Call my pastor doesn't work when the doctor says it's bad at 2 a.m. in the morning. I need a word from God right then. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord if you know what I'm talking about. Scribes were not only copyists of the law, 
They were also keepers of the oil traditions and the, any additions to the law. In fact, the Bible tells us there was a gradual accumulating with the progress of time. There, there were numerous traditions that became just as important. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? There were numerous things that became tradition that they assumed were a part of the Word of God that weren't a part of the Word of God. It just over time what everybody thought about the Word was just as important as what the Word said. And my opinion about what it meant was just as important as what it really meant. And when you do that, if you're not careful before long, the Bible says one thing, and your opinion is, well, it just, it's not that way anymore. And all of a sudden, well, they receive the Holy Ghost in the books of Acts, and all of a sudden, somebody says, well, that doesn't happen anymore. And everybody starts thinking, well, he must know it doesn't happen anymore. Everybody hearing me now? Before they knew it, the traditions of the scribes became just as important as the actual words they were translating. This is what Jesus alludes to in Mark chapter 7. He says, you, 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 you push the traditions of men as the commandment of God. It's not God at all. This is the way you see it. This is your opinion. Oh, is anybody hearing what I'm saying? Gradual accumulating over the process of time, they became numerous. Paul represents himself as having been one of those. He says, I was one of those scribes. And this is his words, and I quote, he says, I was exceedingly zealous of the traditions of our fathers. He says, looking back, now I realize I knew the word backwards and forwards, but I realize my opinion somewhere got more important than the words I knew were there. Oh, you're not hearing me. Oh, I know, I can read Romans 8, 28 also. I know all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord. But there are times my opinion is contrasting that verse. There are times in what's going on in my life doesn't match up with those words. I can read every letter of that. We get to the point where we say, well, life doesn't translate into Romans 8, so I'm not going to worry about Romans 8 because that evidently doesn't mean that. Or I can say, you know what, Romans 8 needs to translate into my life. I know that's what he said. I know that's what he meant. And regardless of my opinion, I'm standing on the word. I'm standing on the promise. I'm going to believe what he said. Well, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. The scribes adopted forced interpretations of the law, endeavoring to find, listen, what they ended up doing, they, they tried to find special meaning in every word, every syllable, even the letters. They got so enamored with just the letters. Boy, it sounds an awful lot about like what's going on right now, doesn't it? You're just two or three clicks away from knowing whatever Hebrew and Greek word means. 
You can translate all the letters. But I want to tell you, there's something more important than just the letters that are on the page. They got so focused on the lettering. In fact, you say, well, how do you know that? Well, Luke 11 and 52, Jesus says it. Woe to you experts. Experts. Because you have taken away the key. Well, wait a minute. I think the key to knowledge is knowing whatever letter means. But Jesus said you've become such an expert that you don't even know any longer what it means. It, I, don't, I don't know. But as a pastor, the biggest challenge for a minister today, I believe, is not preaching the Bible, being a word church. We can, we can quote scriptures and preach verses and, and, and go through uh, the, the word of God in, a, in an orderly manner. But what the real challenge is, is some good old saint of God that grabs a hold of those verses and says, those are good on the page, those are good in my heart, but they're also good at work tomorrow morning. Those words are not just good to be read, they're good to be lived. And I don't want to know so much that I miss the key of knowing it. Oh, you're not hearing me. Come on, clap your hands under the Lord right now. Come on. Woe unto you experts. You, got, you know it all. You know so much now you've... You've taken away the key of knowledge. What's the use of knowing it? What's the use of knowing it? Then he says, you yourselves have not entered. You're so bogged down in every little letter. You won't go into the kingdom and you hinder everybody else. Don't miss Christmas. Jesus denounced the scribes for setting aside the commands of God, Mark 7, in order to observe their own tradition. They got to a point where they said, I know the word says this, but what I think is more important. My opinion of it's more important. Pastor, the word was written, how long ago was that? God doesn't understand what we're dealing with right now. The Lord has no idea what's going on in my family. I know the Bible, it's got all those nice little verses about God being faithful and about how he's not going to put on me more than I'm able to bear. But that don't make much sense in the real world, preacher. My traditions are more important than the commands. Don't miss Christmas. In almost all the gospel references, they are opponents of Jesus, the scribes. But in Mark's gospel, there's a story of a scribe who agrees with Jesus and begins to extrapolate on Jesus' words in a manner that leads Jesus in chapter 12 of the book of Mark to say to this scribe, this scribe says, I'm seeing something, I'm noticing something, I've transcribed the books of the law all my life. But there's something about your words that are resonating with me. And the Bible says this scribe comes to Jesus and says, I, I, I know the written word, but I'm getting to know the living word. And Jesus tells that man, he says, you are not far now from the kingdom of God. 
Oh yeah, it's more than just eating and drinking and it's more than just words on a page. This Bible is about a person and his name is Jesus. And no, I'm not, I want this to be a word church, absolutely. But it's dangerous when we only have the word. We need the spirit operating in this church so we can extrapolate what the word means for us. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. I, I want to hurry today. Oh, come on, clap unto the Lord right now. Jesus, we need you. Matthew and Luke also tell of a scribe who wants to follow Jesus, but Jesus responds to him in a way that might imply he doesn't think the man has what it takes. For Matthew 8, Jesus tells that man who says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. A scribe. Jesus, I know you're the Messiah. I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, I won't tell you, son. The foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. Revival in religion and following Jesus may not turn out like you think it ought to. There may be some curves in the road you don't understand. There may be some dark nights that don't make sense to the Bible. You may read Romans 8.28 in a moment of hope, but in reality you may say, Lord, I'm a thousand miles away from this working for my good. Don't miss Christmas. What are some of the details that these scribes would have known? The Bible's full of prophecies about Jesus being born about Christmas. The coming of the Messiah. the, The prophecies are given in great numbers in the Old Testament. And if these men were copying every letter, they should have known. They should have been at the manger themselves. They should have joined the shepherd and the wise guys. Oh, you're not hearing me now. Zechariah said a lot concerning Jesus being born. He said there'd be a Messiah that would be God's servant. He would be the branch. He would be the stone. He would be the shepherd. Zechariah said he will come riding into Jerusalem on a colt. They should have known it. He would be rejected by his own people. He'd be sold for 30 pieces of silver. They would pierce his hands and his feet and he would die on a cross every scribe should have seen it but my bible tells me it was the scribes that moved the congregation to put him on a cross to kill him the very people that should have recognized his coming The very people who should have been in the prayer room, who should have been in the altar. Oh, they knew too much. They were so well versed. All they had now was tradition. In fact, there are some of you that struggle over new courses and church in a gymnasium. God forbid that our traditions are more important. I 
I just need somebody to wave at me a little bit. You got it right, Pastor. The prophecies are all over the Bible, starting in Genesis 15. Genesis 3, 15. The seed of the woman will bruise crush the head of the serpent Genesis 9 says the, the Messiah will come through the, the lineage of Shem the Messiah then a few chapters later will come through the lineage of Abraham and, and then the fact was revealed that he would come from Isaac and not Ishmael and from Jacob and not Esau they were writing every letter they should have recognized these names Jacob had 12 sons and the divine prediction pointed to Judah not only Judah but the very house of David and when he was to come, Isaiah in Isaiah 7:14 says we learned that his mother would be a virgin. How specific can you get? And then Isaiah goes on to say, the son that's born of this virgin will be Emmanuel, God with us. Somebody get to looking for a virgin. Clearly, the prophetic word in Isaiah states that the Messiah would be a child born and a son given, and his name would be Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Ever. Oh, hallelujah. When I read those words, something burns in me. There got to be more than words on a page. It's got to be more than I'm going to church to punch a clock. Something happens when I read those words. He's wonderful. He's the counselor. He's the mighty God. Don't miss Christmas. Come on, clap your hands under the Lord right now. I feel like preaching this morning. I don't want to miss what God's about to do in this community. I don't want to miss what God's about to do in this church. I hesitate to say what's on my mind because uh, people all over the world are listening to it. I can't tell you how many people that's never darkened the doors of this church that I'm standing in a funeral uh, uh, visitation line and they say, Pastor, I've been listening to your podcast. God's doing something in me. I've never heard anything like I'm hearing on your podcast, Pastor. Keep on preaching. Hey, I want to tell you, we got our little ideas about how God's going to do it, but I want to tell you, God's doing something right now. God's, oh yes, He is. Oh yes, He is. And I don't want to be trying to dissect the words and miss the meaning. Oh, somebody clap your hands under the Lord if you're with me today. promised Messiah is to be the seed of a woman, the seed of Abraham, seed of David from a virgin. This Messiah is the son of David. He would appear in Isaiah 11 and 1. He'd come in the house of David only after David's house had been stripped of its royal dignity and glory. It's plain as day in Isaiah. The scribe should have seen it. David's house had been stripped the dignity had been lost. Somebody should have been looking for Christmas. 
Oh, but they were too busy trying to get the W where the W was supposed to go and the D where the D was supposed to go. What more could we say of the prophecies which speak of his life, his poverty, what he was going to do, his rejection of his own people. In the matchless chapter in the book of Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, the rejection of Jesus is explicitly predicted. In another chapter, a still more startling prophecy is recorded. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught and in vain. This is the Messiah crying over his people. Those scribes should have seen it. They were copying it day after day. It never made a difference. Then follows the answer in Isaiah 49. Messiah saying, I've wasted my strength. I've given my labor in vain in Isaiah 49 verse 5. It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved of Israel. And every scribe loved copying that. You know why? Because it was talking about them. They liked that part of the verse. They liked it so much that they missed the next part. I also will give thee for a light to the Gentiles. Oh no, we don't even know what that means. We got to copy it because that's what it says. But we like the first part. Let's leave out the last part. They didn't even believe the Gentiles deserved it. But right there in Isaiah it says he's going to raise up the Jews. And he's going to be a light to the Gentiles. They were so focused on themselves that they missed Don't miss Christmas. Here the revelation is given that he would not alone be rejected by his own people and his own nation, but that he would also bring salvation to the Gentiles. They couldn't even imagine that. I don't even know how he's going to do that. So we'll copy it. We'll make sure it's in there. But our tradition will be more important than the very words he states. The promised Messiah of Israel, long, the long-for one, is predicted to be rejected to become the Savior of the Gentiles. And in fact, in the book of Psalms, the writer says, the sufferings of Christ, the deep agony of his soul, it states that its death would be by crucifixion. Everybody say crucifixion. Yeah, in Psalms it says he's going to be crucified. I want you to understand how powerful that word is because the Jews didn't even know what crucifixion was. Crucifixion didn't even come into existence until the Roman Empire. Psalm says it long before crucifixion was ever invented. You're not hearing me. When you go past those verses and you run into stuff that you don't understand, God knows what he's talking about and God is not a liar. Oh no, he's not. Every word is settled. And I want you to know he said stuff about this church and I stand on it. And he said something about me and I stand on it. I want to tell you, Jesus told me how he's going to take care of me and I believe it. Oh, come on, somebody reach out to the Lord right now. 
Crucifixion, yeah. They copied it. It's in there, and they didn't even know what it was. So while they're, the scribes, while they're outside Pilate's hall, screaming, crucify him. Nobody in that crowd said, wait a moment. Haven't you ever copied the book of Psalms? Have you not read? Do you remember when you got to that word and you didn't even know what that was? And now we're saying it. How blind can you be? And yet I come to church and I look across a congregation of people that I know has been filled with the Holy Ghost. That's a miracle. You've been baptized in Jesus' name and all your sins are no longer remembered against you. That's a miracle. You can't even lift your hands in church. You can't even come to the altar when the service is over. I'm preaching to you. Don't miss Christmas. You're so professional. You know what apostolic is. You can't spell it. But you know what it is. You know when you're supposed to stand, when you're supposed to sit down. You know when you're supposed to clap. You know when you mean it, when you don't. You know how many services you've slept through. You know how many songs you've memorized. But how many sermons you've forgotten. Yeah, you're missing something and if you miss it long enough it's going to be hidden from you I want to tell you God's about to do something incredible in this world in which we live I want to be a part of it I want to keep my head in the book. I want to keep studying His Word. But I don't want to be so locked in on one letter that I fail to look up and say, look what God's doing. (laughs) Well, wait a minute. I don't understand that. It's not happening like I thought it should. I don't care what you thought should be. Just stand on His Word. Oh, Oh, come on. Somebody give Him a shout of praise right now. Clap. Oh, yes. Come on, somebody shout unto God right now. Come on, don't stop. You've got more to praise God for. Come on. Come on, scribes. Don't miss what's happening because you're looking in the letter. It's predicted. It's predicted that they would mock him. It's predicted they would pierce his hands. It's predicted that they would sell his own garments. 53rd chapter of Isaiah, the purpose of his death is blessedly predicted. He's died for sinners. Every priest who knew what that lamb was for should have known what John the Baptist knew. Behold, the Lamb of God. There we find also mentioned his burial His resurrection predicted all of this 700 years before Jesus was ever born. 
In the book of Psalms, we find the prophecy that the rejected one would op- occupy a place at the right hand of God in Psalms 110. In other words, the writer says he's going to leave this earth and as a child of our King David, he's going to be exalted to the highest place, the right hand of God, and the enemies will be made his footstool. So when he came out of that grave, they shouldn't have been trying to cover it up. When he left Mount Olives, they shouldn't have said the disciples were lying. It happened just like he said it would. And they, of all people, of all people, should have known it. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. But let me show you how easy it is to get all mixed up as I hurry to a close. The Bible says, the prophecies say, and the scribes inscribed it year after year. His birthplace would be Bethlehem. Bethlehem. So they jumped to an assumption that if he was born in Bethlehem, then his parents probably had to be from Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph were in Nazareth. But God didn't mess up when he said Bethlehem. Because the Bible tells us that the ruler woke up one night and said, Hey, I need more tax money. He said, I think I'm going to send everybody back to their hometown. And Joseph, being of the lineage of David, God didn't mess up when he said Bethlehem. The Bible says the Messiah would come out of Galilee in Isaiah 9. And so they, they inferred that, that, you know, they just locked in on that. He had to come out of Galilee. In fact, they get a little confused when they deal with the prophecy that says he would come out of Egypt. So how could he be born in Bethlehem, come out of Galilee, and also usher out of Egypt? You see, if you're not careful, all those three, you don't understand what it's saying, so you just give up trying to understand it. And all of a sudden, religious religion becomes by rote. You just copy the verses. I don't know what it means, but it doesn't matter. Let's go to work. I don't know what it means. It doesn't matter. Let's go fishing. No, it matters. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. Yeah. How could they have missed it when it was so plain? Let me give you an example. Matthew 17. They're on the mountain of transfiguration. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to the high mountain alone. And there Jesus, his appearance changes for sake of time. His face shines. His clothing becomes pure white. The Bible says all of a sudden they see Elijah and Moses. Speaking with Jesus, a cloud envelops them all. They hear a voice and the Bible says the disciples are very sore afraid. Let's pick the story up in Matthew 17 verse 5. And as they came down from the mountain, this is what's just happened. Jesus charged them saying, tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. Jesus plainly states that he's going to die and rise from the dead. The disciples recognize this, but they have a very perplexing question. You might think they would ask about what they just saw or maybe why they need to be quiet, but they don't. Look at the next, look at verse 10. The disciples ask him saying, 
Lord, why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? Before the Messiah comes, there must be an Elijah. Don't miss Christmas. Perhaps this question arises because they've just seen Elijah. And if Jesus is going to die and rise again, then there has to come an Elijah. They know this. In Matthew 16, we know that the minds of the people recognize this. For in Matthew 16, Jesus said, Who do men say that I am? What did they answer? Some say, You're Elias. That's Elijah. When John was ministering in the wilderness in John 1.21, they asked John the Baptist, Are you Elijah? Everybody had been taught this. Everybody should know this. The Bible tells us that they're still looking for Elijah. In fact, in Malachi chapter 5, we find where the writer states that Elijah would come before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. And in the Jews' mind, the great dreadful day of the Lord was the coming of the Messiah. You know they're still looking for him, don't you? They don't realize he's already come. That tells me that word had two meanings. Not Jesus' ultimate glorification, but his glorification over sin, over the grave, and over death. So the disciples knew that Jesus was the Messiah, but they had a question, where is Elijah? And Jesus states, Elijah has already come. And they didn't see him. And when he came, they did whatever they, unto him, whatever they listed. Now when I read this, and I hurry. In fact, musicians, come on, it's 12 o'clock, I gotta go. Listen, Jesus said, when Elijah came, They did to him whatever they listed. That's a strange word. You know what it means? Jesus says they acted toward him as though there was nothing to be considered but their own will. Jesus said, you know what? Their opinion was more important than what they were actually seeing. The scribes on whose interpretation of Scripture the disciples had relied so much were wrong about Elijah, and they were wrong about the Messiah. And there he was, and they didn't even know it. They thought both in terms of earthly glory and earthly victory. But you and I know that Jesus is not just about earthly victory. They did not understand that the purpose of God in both was worked out in the terms of lowliness and suffering. The disciples understood Jesus was speaking of John the Baptist. In fact, Jesus had already stated this. Look, Matthew eleven thirteen, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if ye will receive it, this is Elias. Did you see it? Jesus said, every prophet prophesied until John. And if you will receive it, this is Elias. Did you see it? You know what they're thinking? They're thinking, Elijah's going to come out of the grave, show up, walk down our street, and then we'll know. And Jesus said, oh no. Every prophet that said I was coming, this is Elias. 
until John. This was Elias. You missed every Elijah I sent you. You missed every Elijah. And then those startling words. If you will receive it. Everybody say that with me. If you will receive it. This is Elias. Which was for to come. And then verse 15. He that hath ears to hear. Let him hear. Don't miss Christmas. If you will receive it. If you will receive it. For whatever reason, they now understand that the prophecy about Elijah has already been fulfilled. So they know he's the Messiah. So I close. There are many ways for us to miss Christmas. If they can miss it when it's so plainly stated, there are many ways that I could miss Christmas. I could fail to see what God's doing right now. I could get so bogged down in this church, that church. Why I'm even up here. I mean, I, I know it's strange that God would reach down in a little old town in Tioga, Louisiana and call a young man who's minding his own business. I know it's strange. I, why in the world would he drag him all the way up here to South Central Illinois? I don't know. But if you will receive it, I don't I don't even know really I mean I can read the minutes but I I can't answer why this church is even here but if you will receive it no you're not hearing me you're so freaked out by your opinion and what you think has to happen and God's moving right now and you don't even know it you're explaining it away. You refuse to see. And Jesus says, Elias has come. And if you'll receive it. I just came on this Sunday morning, the first Sunday of December, to say, God, whatever you want to do, I want to be a part of it. I don't, I don't want to miss Christmas. I don't want to miss something birthing in this community. And I'd be so distracted that I can't even see it. I don't know about you, but we're well aware of what God plans for His church. Aren't we? Okay, let's talk about that for a minute. He's coming after a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. It'll be a victorious church, a revival church. Does He want this whole community saved? Do you think we're going to save them all? 
No. In fact, we could use two or three more Pentecostal churches in this town. Shock, shock. You say, well, I don't see God doing that. Well, I don't care what you see or don't see. If you will receive it. God, I don't know how we're going to reach this world. But you know, and don't let me get bogged down on the how and the why. And it doesn't say that. Oh, yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Yes, it Quit arguing about it. Say, Lord, I receive it. Lift your hands right now. Say, Lord, I receive it. I, I want to be in a receiving uh, attitude. I receive it. I don't know. That's where God said to go. Huh. I mean, I think I'm smart enough. I'm not a scribe. I don't know whatever letter means. But I think I know that if God called me here, He wants a church here. <laughs> Why? I don't know. You go on trying to figure it out. I'm just going to enjoy what God's doing. That's what I'm going to do. He also has a plan not only for the church, He has a plan for every one of us as His children. And many times those plans are cryptic. Aren't they? They're cryptic. Sometimes what is occurring sometimes what's happening doesn't seem to fit. I don't want to violate any confidence in any way. But every one of us knows what God plans for His children. He wants us to be more than conquerors, overcomers, walk by faith. The list goes on and on. He doesn't want us to walk by sight. He wants us to live in a realm of faith that goes beyond circumstances. So if that's the case, then why are circumstances messing us up? You know what God plans for you. It's when stuff doesn't fit. Wait a minute. I thought God wanted me victorious. But all of a sudden this happened. How can I be victorious while this is going on? This doesn't fit. So somebody's wrong. And it sure ain't me. Must be God. So then we get mad at God. God, I don't know why you're doing that. You told me you wanted me to live in faith. And you're destroying my faith. You want me to be victorious. And I don't even feel like being victorious. I'm mad. You're, a, you, you're, you're not telling me the truth, God. Oh, yes, He is. Oh, yes, He is. I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. An individual, maybe sometime during my pastorate, and I've been here 27 years, so I'll just leave it at that. In 27 years, I had an individual come and tell me, say, Pastor, their child's not serving God. It's complicated. The story unwound, and they finally told me a story of how there's you know, spiritual things involved, and they're afraid demonic activities going on. And they said, "In fact, Pastor, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I, I just know I'm concerned. I think it's demonic because they're seeing things." 
What are they seeing? Well, they, they saw things. They saw things. And there I, I was sitting there and they saw things trying to destroy me, trying to get to me. But they couldn't. But they couldn't. And then these, whatever they were seeing, start, and I'm not going to destroy anybody's confidence. So I'm trying to tiptoe through this. They said, they told this individual, you know, do these things to this person because, you know, this will hurt them. I, I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm just so worried they're messed up with demonic stuff. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you see it? Do you see it? See what? They can't touch you. While you're getting into this complicated stuff about what's happening and who's doing it, is it the devil, is it God? No, just take what God's showing you. They, they can't touch you. Whatever the devil wants to do to you, he can't even do it. He can't. So right in the middle of all that hell. Yes, I said hell. Right in the middle of all that hell. I can come to church and say, God, it's not worked out like I like it to. But I, you're showing me something. Woo! See, it all depends on what we're looking at. We're either waiting for God to show us something glorious or we're confused about why we're going through what doesn't match in His Word. Oh, I've come to tell you all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord. Don't you ever doubt that. Don't you ever let go of that. Don't you. I know I sounded crazy to some folks. I know. As long as I can remember praying, I prayed for my alcoholic dad. Oh, God, save him. When I got the call, he was laying dead on his kitchen floor. Yeah, I had some questions for God. But in that moment, he's got something to say if you will receive it. Speak, Lord. I need a word from you today. I, I know all those verses, but I need you to translate them into my world right now. I'm preaching to people that stuff happens and your head starts spinning. You wonder if God, God even exists. Don't miss Christmas. He's still at work. <laughs> Come on, he's still working. <laughs> Oh, somebody ought to praise Him right now. I'm not giving up, God, because I know You're still working. I'm not letting go because I know You're still working. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Come on, I want you to worship God right now. You've been preached to. You ought to respond right now. Come on, respond right now. Oh, praise Him right now. Come on, praise Him right now.
All things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. God is working. I'm not going to miss it. I may get discouraged, but I'm not going to be cast down. I may be forsaken, but I'm not going to be destroyed. I'm going to give him the praise he deserves. Oh, I know. I want to tell you why I had a big problem with God. You want to know why I had a big problem with God? You don't know why I had a big problem with God? Because six months before, six months before, he would die on his kitchen floor, Joyce. Six months before. He was in that auditorium right over there on the second row on a Sunday morning's worship service. Gary Tipsword, thank you for that day. You walked down that middle aisle, put your hands on my dad begin to pray for my dad you know what I thought at that moment Gary Tipsword I thought today's the day he's fixing to break right now God's going to do it right I prayed all my life it's fixing to happen but you know what my dad bowed his head for a few minutes and then started shaking people's hands you know what that means that means I'm done praying thank you appreciate it God bless you I'll see you next year that's what that means he starts shaking people's hands smiling I thought oh I left that day saying, God, we had a chance here today. You know why I argued with God from southern Illinois all the way to Bossier City, Louisiana? You know why? Because I didn't think it was going to happen that way. No. He's going to be in church. I was going to be preaching. I was going to give the altar call. He was going to run down there and fall down on the floor. And I was going to be one to lay my hands on and pray for him. See how much pride's in all that? Yeah. See, God's going to do it His way. I know that's hard to take in this I got rights world here in the United States of America, but He's God and I'm not. And if I, if I don't receive it, I could miss it. And Betty, how bitter would I get if something I should have saw in that moment I refused to see it. And then God hid it from me. What would my life be like right now if in that moment when I had questions for God that I was so bent on having it my way that I wouldn't listen for God to say to me He was not alone. I was there. I had a choice right then. I can either receive it or live the rest of my life bitter. If you will receive it. I pastor people who are going through things they don't understand. Like a parent, I've prayed God let up a little bit 
like a parent, I pray God move because they're at the breaking point. <laughs> People I'm privileged to pastor that at particular moments in their life and their journey, they missed his appearance because it didn't fit with what they expected. I never expected this to happen, Pastor. No, we didn't, did we? But God is still God, isn't He? He's on the throne. I'm not going to let my circumstance cause me to miss my moment today. This is why walking in the Spirit every day, every moment is so important. See, I'm talk, I want to talk to quizzers, saints. My God, it's 1220. I'm sorry. I'll say this. This is why walking in the Spirit every day, every moment is so important. Listen, and if you're listening on podcasts, i got to tell you something. It's not enough just to read your Bible. The scribes are proof that dissecting every letter doesn't bring you life. Memorize all the scripture you want to memorize. It's not going to bring you life. The letter kills. The Spirit makes alive. I need the Holy Ghost to give meaning to my life. I need the Holy Spirit that was sent to be a guide. I need it to lead and guide me into all truth. When my family's dying, I need the Spirit to make meaning of those cryptic moments. I don't know. I guess I could have read the Bible cover to cover, but nowhere in there would have it told me why my dad was laying dead in the kitchen. No, I needed the Spirit to translate that word. Give me a rhema. God, I need a word right now. You know what else I find? I close. I'm sorry, I close so many times. You know what I'm shocked by? I'm shocked that there were many that missed Christmas. But not everybody missed Christmas. Not everybody missed it. The wise men carefully studied. The shepherds responded to the heavenly choir. Not everybody missed it. And then, when Jesus is seven days old, Mary takes that boy to put him under the blessing of Abraham by the act of circumcision. And that's to be done at the tabernacle. Mary takes that little boy Jesus into the temple to get him circumcised. And when she walks in, there's an old man who wouldn't leave. Has anybody got a cane? Jim, Jim, you got your cane here. Come on, throw me that thing. Come on. Jim, Jim, he's old. He, he can't even hardly stand up. Bless God, I'm not leaving. 
because I got a word from God. I know, I know he's coming. I know he's coming. I know it looks bad. I know circumstances are terrible. I know I don't understand what's going on. Oh, but I'm not leaving this house until my eyes lay onto the child, the consolation of it. I'm not leaving. And there he is that. Thank God for a faithful old man who wouldn't let the word die. Pastor, you don't know how long I've been praying for my family. Oh, come on. Get you a cane or a crutch and just keep on going. I'm praying. I'm praying. No, you're not hearing me. Pastor, how, how long are you going to pray? Oh, I'm going to keep on praying. Till my eyes see the consolation of Israel. I ain't leaving. I'm not letting go. Come on, anybody feel like that this morning? Pastor, I've been praying a long time, but I'm going to keep on praying. don't give up I know it doesn't make sense I know they're further from God than they've ever been oh come on somebody praise the Lord Thank you, Jim. I love it what old Simeon says Mary lays that baby in his arms. Simeon says, Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> now, O <old> Lord, <laughs> let thy servant depart in peace. <laughs> For mine eyes have seen the consolation of Israel. <laughs> I can go to my grave with peace in my heart. These all died in faith, not having received the promise. But they saw them afar off. They were persuaded of them. And they embraced them. Brother Gene, it's getting late. I can't pray much more. I'm, I'm getting old and feeble. I want to tell you, there's going to come a day, if you're faithful, you're going to see the promise of God come to pass. Don't get so bogged down in what's happening. That you miss your visitation. God wants to show up in some of the most difficult moments of your life. I know. I know it's a cow stall and it stinks, and only animals gather there, but I want to tell you, Jesus knows how to make his bed in an inappropriate place. He knows how to show up in your manger. That little old place back there outside of the house. It's reserved. Nobody goes back there anymore. Jesus knows to show up, show up, knows how to show up in the most odd and in those moments when you don't expect him. And you know what? There are times in our lives that we couldn't see Jesus in that certain situation either. I've lived long enough to know. I used to think that a blessing of God means it makes me happy. But I've lived long enough to know that now I can identify the blessings of God as anything that draws me closer to the Lord. And sometimes it's in those difficult times 
And I think it's the devil, and it's not the devil at all. It's a blessing. God's drawing me back. Well, I, I, I'll say this also. Simeon was in there, and the Bible says while he's, while he's praying, try this on for size. Careful now. Careful while you're dissecting all those letters, while you, you know the, the meaning of every one of those Greek words, try this on for size. That while Simeon's standing there, Sister Becky, the prophetess Anna walked in. She's a lady, but she's a prophet. <laughs> That's what I thought, Brother Dale. Yeah, I felt that snicker too. She's a lady, and she's a prophet. She comes walking in, and she says the same thing Simeon says. I've been waiting for this day. There's a bunch of folks that missed it, but there were some that didn't. But I'm preaching to people today that are in danger of missing Christmas. In fact, I've got a, a reading that I felt the Holy Ghost told me to read as the singers come. Psalm 73, and I want to read it in a little different translation. Now, don't get freaked out. I know the KJV is the only holy version. But if you will receive it, Psalm 73, because this is the way all of us feel. Listen, I know there's people walking, but don't let it disturb you. This is the way all of us feel at different times in our lives. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, Pastor's about to read something we all feel. And I want to start. Listen, I quote, Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud, who saw, and I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil in their pride. They seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? <laughs> Did I keep my innocence for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to other people, I would have been a traitor to my own people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Then I went into the sanctuary of God. 
even your word, God, didn't make any sense while I was looking at the circumstances. But when I went into the sanctuary of God, oh, it doesn't stop there. I'd like to pick it up in verse 21. Then I re- when I got to the house of God, then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and I was so arrogant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, oh God. Yet, I still belong to you. <laughs> you hold my right hand, oh hallelujah. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom whom have I in heaven but you, O God? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert Him will perish. For you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near to my God. I have made the Sovereign Lord my shelter. And I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. I wonder if anybody in this room doesn't want to miss Christmas. I wonder if you just get up on your feet and say, Lord, in spite of the circumstances of my life, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be faithful. I'm coming to church when I don't feel like it. I'm going to worship you when it doesn't make sense. I don't know what's going on in my family, but I'm coming in faith telling you I don't have to know. Come on right now, reach over and pray with somebody. I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel like God wants to make this entire congregation an altar. I feel like the Holy Ghost wants to sweep over somebody and give them reason and give them explanation. Not not the facts, but just a word from God that says, hey, be still and know that I am God. Come on, I'm, I'm admonishing, I'm, I'm encouraging. Come on, I, I'm, I'm calling some saints that are not afraid to pray in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to ask you not to be embarrassed about your spiritual status. You are a child of God. Don't be embarrassed to pray and talk in tongues over somebody that you know is going through a difficulty. Come on, come on, come on. Pray. Lift your voice right now.